0: 8.05 on a Saturday morning, every Saturday morning from 6 to 9. I am Randy Tobler. It is the Tobler Show on News Talk STL, 101.9, And joining us now is JT from the new show. Well, not so new to YouTubers, but new starting this coming Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. here on News Talk STL, JT. And it's called Pocket Watching with JT. How you doing, JT? Good to meet you.
1: I am doing amazing. Thank you so much for the invitation, Doctor Toba.
0: So the uh, let's talk a little bit about you and about the uh, the theme of the show. We understand there's going to be some smart money tips and uh, some fiscal conservative rants. Wow, that sounds like a <laughs> magic combination. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So, so uh, t- tell a- us about yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. I am a certified financial planner, born and bred in the city of St. Louis and uh about a year ago about a year ago I ended up finding my way on YouTube because a lot of my clients who you know we create financial plans and I represent them before the IRS for audits and collections and things like that but all of a sudden sometimes my clients will uh present some things that they see online and they'll say hey you know is this something that we can do and 99% of the time It's fraudulent information presented by people who have no idea what they're talking about. So I just made a decision that said, hey, I am going to start a YouTube channel to try to present actual good financial information and to try to disprove some myths about how money actually works.
0: So tell me, pray tell, you can't. You're not telling me that there's misinformation on the web. How come it hasn't been scrubbed? Did the Did the White House not hear about this misinformation and and call Facebook or call Google or and Twitter and tell them to take it off? My goodness, what's going on, JT? Right.
1: It, it seems <laughs> as if that's not very high on their priority list, and in some cases. <laughs> Uh, you know the establishment actually promotes this false information, and that's what my channel and that's what the show is all about. Giving people the opportunity to actually call in and ask me their personal financial questions, so I can help give them tips to improve their lives. But most importantly, and that's the part that I I love, is that I have an opportunity to present what fiscal conservative uh, is was really all about. And I give people an opportunity, even if they disagree. I give them an opportunity to call in and give their side.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's one of the things that I've always had fun with. I tell uh, folks, progressives, liberals, you know, when they call in, they step right to the front of the line. We let them do that on my program. In fact, we encourage it. They get right to the top of the queue because I want to hear the other side. We want to hear the best argument so that we can sharpen our argument in favor of, uh, well, let's find what you're in favor of. Are you a... uh, are, are you a uh, limited government kind of a guy, a constitutional conservative? Talk a little bit about your, uh, your economic philosophy.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, I am fiscally conservative because, honestly, any accountant, any financial advisor who's actually taught in school, that is what we're taught, right? When I give personal financial advice to a client, I don't tell them to live within a deficit, to continuously spend on their credit card and not have a plan to actually pay the credit card off. And if I can do that for individuals, that's basically how it should go with the government. But one of the biggest things that honestly impacted my personal view on the world is that I do a lot of pro bono work. And I work with clients who are elderly and low income, and I noticed a trend That while I was trying to work to improve the client's financial life, to have them earn more money and and be in a better position, they were actually working to stay low income so that they can continue to get government benefits. The light bulb went went on when I realized, hey, these programs are not there to help people move up in life. They're actually keeping people down.
0: Well, you know what Jim DeMint, one of my favorite conservatives and former head of the Heritage Society, Senator Jim DeMint, um, you know, one of the things he likes to say, and it's one of my favorite mottos, and that is uh, a dependent voter is a dependable vote. And I think you just described it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, when you really think about the mindset and the victimhood mentality, that is promoted with these type of programs, you really don't have to think very hard uh, as to why there is a stable group of people who refuse to actually do the things that it takes to either build wealth in America or just to promote a better society. These type of programs, you have to understand, these programs promote having a household that does not allow the father into the household Otherwise, they would be kicked off the benefits. So what's the mm-hmm. result? You're going to have more people who are willing to have single-parent households because they are rewarded with government dollars.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's let's uh, drill down a little bit on this whole um, dependency and entitlement, uh, really a culture that's really been created. And the, the number of people and the... Um, the, the group identities of these people continue to expand, right? The number of people that are now included in the dependency bucket in America is, is I think, almost at a tipping point. And, and I want to talk about student debt uh, forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I, you hear one after another interview on college campuses, whether it's on the Fox Network, CNBC, MSN. I, boy, you hear very few of these young people or people who are recently graduated saying that, oh, I don't think it's a good idea, in fact they say they should be more of this and we have of course the Elizabeth Warrens the AOCs the mm-hmm. you know the progressive left saying my goodness of course this makes sense why not so how what is what is a, a an argument that can possibly begin to convince people that are going to vote in this coming midterm election that more of this kind of government largesse is not a good thing JT
1: it it comes down to being the slippery slope of government handouts. Now, some would say, well, $10,000 isn't that much. But when you actually add it up, the, uh, when we think about everyone who's eligible for it, it becomes billions of dollars. But even if we put that off to the side, the slippery slope of government handouts makes it to the point where, OK, if they did $10,000 this time, maybe they'll do twenty dollars or $50,000 Next time, and we'll see it grow and grow and grow. It's what I refer to as becoming a moral hazard. Moral hazard Mm. actually happens whenever you separate a person's actions from the consequence. Whenever you separate Mm -hmm. actions from consequence, you see an increase in risky behavior. So, we're not actually helping the student loan debt crisis by handing out ten thousand dollars to these borrowers we're actually going to increase the student debt crisis because people who are behind them people who are watching what's going on they're going to say hey mm-hmm. i'll get a eighty thousand dollar student loan to learn how to do underwater basket weaving because hey the government will bail me out
0: mm-hmm. and let's be honest about it that works in concert with those admissions directors and the CFOs of the colleges that are looking at that saying, oh, okay, wow, we just got an open checkbook from government-backed loans that now will be forgiven later. I think it's time we build another athletic complex. I think it's time we build an even fancier food court. Let's make it with granite brought in from uh, from Greece rather than uh, <laughs> cinder blocks. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Right. I am
1: I am a big believer in, you know, uh, reward mm-hmm. systems. People are motivated by the reward system. If there's money involved within you doing a particular behavior, you're going to mm-hmm. see more of that behavior. I'm the type right. of person that says you have to make a person uncomfortable in their bad decisions. If you make a person comfortable in bad decisions, you will see more of that
0: action. Yep. I, you just, boy, I, I can't wait to take in some pocket watching with JT <laughs> starting this Friday uh, on News Talk STL from 8 to 10 p.m. on Friday evening. Wow. Uh, you're speaking way too much common sense, my friend. I'm telling you, I don't know. You're never going to make it on to MSNBC or CNN. You know that, don't you?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. It's, I, I probably I gave up on that a long time ago. But the focus (laughs) is actually bringing a message that helps people. Far too many people within the left side of the aisle, the so-called leaders, they are concerned about hearing the applause of their audience. I don't care about them actually cheering what I say. I want them to hear what I say. I'm dropping seeds. I don't expect for a tree to jump up. A day after I drop that seed, that tree won't come for years. But I'd rather start dropping the seeds now than to never do it at all.
0: Ah, great metaphor. Hey, uh, before we close, uh, what are your thoughts about the economic road ahead for especially young people who may be starting out on their road in life? And boy, the, you know, folks, uh, kids who have grown up uh, well, through the Great Recession—I mean, I've got my children are in that uh, in that uh, pocket. They're they're wary. We read about having babies because of the expense involved, the uncertainty of um, of the economy, inflation mm-hmm. just going crazy. Uh, talk of new and more uh, uh, and deeper rounds of uh, of monetary uh, uh, restraint with the interest rates going up, which could translate to job loss once uh, you know the, the the job creators get the message. Right. Um, what are your thoughts? What's up ahead? Yeah, I got two quick points to
1: that. Point number one, yes. We do have a road ahead of us that's going to be a little tight. We need to make sure that we are being responsible with our money, which basically means you need to spend less than what you make. The difference between that is what we refer to as savings, and you save, you pay down debt, and you invest. You cannot spend your money like it's fun time all the time. You need to tighten your belt. That's number one. But number two, which is most important, you still live in America. The greatest country in the history of the world to be able to build wealth and have upward mobility. So I don't want to see people with the bad mindset of woe is me. Yes, we're going to go into a tight economic time, but never forget where you are and what you can do with that opportunity.
0: Yeah, you know, it seems to me, uh, being a well a young man in the '70s and '80s, watching the scene unfold, and that was uh, after the tumultuous '60s and into the '70s, some tough times in this country with price controls. I remember gas lines where if your if your license plate ended in uh, in an even number, you could get gas on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> and odd, you know, the other. Um, but look what came of that: Apple, look. Microsoft. I mean, a lot of exactly. innovation. Is there an opportunity there for young entrepreneurs to really prosper in this environment?
1: Yes, but the, here's the thing that people forget: we 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 look at the super successful entrepreneurs of the world who are billionaires and whatnot, but we don't tell enough of the story of the struggle, the sacrifice, and the risk mm-hmm. that these people. Take on. So, yes, the opportunity is always there. I tell people all the time the best business for you to make is one that solves the problem. The bigger the yeah. problem that you solve for society, the bigger reward. But there is risk, there are losers and winners in life. And if you don't understand that we're working for equal opportunity for everyone and not equal outcomes, you'll never get it. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's the titan philosophical battle that I think will be fought this midterm and beyond. And I'm glad that you are on the right, and I mean that literally, the right side (laughs) of that battle, (laughs) JT. I can't wait to catch Pocket Watching with JT here on Newstalk SEL, 8 to 10 every Friday starting this week. Hey, it's great to get to know you, and uh, we look forward to shaking your hand in person someday. Hope you'll join us again on the program soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Tobler. All right, there he is, JT from Pocket Watching with JT starting next Friday. Smart money tips and fiscal conservative rants, and you heard a good sampling of it right there. When we come back, John Malcolm from Heritage to help us understand what's going on with some of the legal battles that we're seeing. Uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Donald Trump, and his many uh, prosecutions and grand jury investigations and what it means for America and especially these midterms when we come back here on the Randy Tobler Show. And we're going to talk some Italian food with Vic Perselli, Who should know better about that? And, yes, some politics, too, as we wrap it up at 845. Stay tuned. Lots more coming up on the Randy Tobler Show on 1019941 News Talk STL. It's 824. Randy Tober with you. Thanks for being with me. It's great that uh, you would join us. And it's always great when we talk to John Malcolm, Vice President of the Institute for Constitutional Government and Director of the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at Heritage, heritage heritage.org, and on uh, Twitter at Malcolm underscore John. John, how you doing? Thanks for joining me this Saturday morning.
2: It's my pleasure, Randy. It's good to be with you.
0: A lot of things to talk about. I, I do want to talk a little bit about here. I've been harping all morning how we we in the conservative movement and i guess the gop in particular need to stop talking about donald trump and mar-a-lago and special masters and here i'm going to ask you about it but uh <laughs> lots of other things to talk about uh we need to focus on the, the real winner issues you know uh, but uh judge cannon uh you know authorized the the appointing of appointment of a, of a special master this week um Yesterday, I guess that the list was supposed to come down. The appointment was supposed to be made, but I guess there's some delay in that. Last I heard, um, what does that mean for this whole mess that uh, that we keep focusing on in terms of that of that uh, that raid and the finding that there were oh nuclear plans for other governments and oh you know the earth is shaking. H- help us unpack that. What does it all mean?
2: Sure. Well, I don't think there's been a delay. What I think Judge Cannon asked the parties to do was submit their names for a potential special master, and she'll have to choose among them. It's a small list of people whom you can name because you know they have to have all the requisite clearances, including the highest levels of classification, in order to, to do this job. So President Trump's uh, team has submitted two names, and the government uh, has submitted two names. One of the names on the government's list, three of them are former judges. One of the names on the government's list is uh, a former judge who was the last time, was appointed as a special master in a similar matter, and that was to conduct uh, a review of all of the documents he's from Michael Cohen's office, uh, wow. Trump's former lawyer, when, uh, when a raid was conducted on his office. So Eileen Cannon, the federal district court judge, has, has na- will name or has said she will name a special master. You can think of a special master as the court's lawyer. Uh, it's unusual, but it does happen. It happens sometimes, for instance, when uh, the offices of, of attorneys are raided and they're going to be attorney-client privilege information uh, among the documents that are, are seized. Sometimes uh, in really big disputes, for instance, when one state sues another over water rights, uh, those cases go right to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court In those cases, they get one every three or four years. They'll appoint a special master to hear the arguments of counsel, review all the documents, and then make a recommendation at the end of the day to the judge, which the judge can adopt or not adopt. So that's what a special master is. The government has objected to this and has said that they are going to appeal her order. So I assume that this will go up to the 11th Circuit, uh, which will either stay that order or affirm that order It's a very unusual order in that you know, special masters, as I say, sometimes will come in to look at attorney-client privilege information. But here, one of the reasons she appointed a special master is because there's not only potentially attorney-client privilege information, but executive privilege information. And special masters don't usually look at that kind of stuff. It's a little unusual in that it was largely assumed that whether this is good policy or bad policy – a current president can waive executive privilege even if those communications took place with his or her predecessor. But Judge Cannon, in her order, said, well, no, there's, there's, it's not a clear question. The Supreme Court has suggested that a former president might, under unusual circumstances, still be able to exert executive privilege even if the current president wished to waive it. And the other unusual thing about her order is she said, well, the director of national intelligence can continue his review to see whether or not classified information was compromised and how do we mitigate that, the damage that would flow from that. But she has told the government, you cannot continue your criminal investigation, at least with respect to examining and utilizing the documents that you seized at Mar-a-Lago. So there's a lot going on in terms of what this material is. All we know is that there were some markings on it that said it's special access program information. Uh, that usually means national defense related stuff, nuclear stuff, exactly what it is. We don't know other than the usual selective leaks by people, quote unquote, close to the investigation. Uh, and but I have I have no doubt that some of this material was certainly very, very sensitive. And most of us would not want to uh, want it getting out into the public domain.
0: John, is there is there a threshold? I mean, I think we've all watched with um, dismay what appears to be a double standard. I mean, you look at the the, the list of things that Jim Comey listed. You know, the number the number of top secret and classified and not so uh, top secret but still secret uh, emails, and even said that they may have been compromised uh, in their transmission, uh, right, unsecurely. And, and they're, you know and And yet she seemed to get off scot-free. No raids of her home. no no problem. In fact, you know, we've been through that before. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if, in fact, the level of these documents, which is implied to be even the, the 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 most secret of secret things that only very few people in the government can see, uh, limited right. to very few people, even in the cabinet, is there a threshold at which you, John Malcolm, would say, you know, we we have to hold Donald Trump accountable for something here. I mean, these why were they so lackadaisical? Why did his attorney sign a statement that all the documents had been back? They seemed at least negligent, if not willfully obstructive. I mean, what's the best argument the other side could make that says, look, this rises to a different level than what Hillary did or not? Where do well, you stand?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. There are a few points
0: to make there.
2: Oh, one is the FBI has certainly led with its chin in terms of it's very easy to make the argument that there is a double standard going on here. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's home was not raided. She did have a jerry rigged server in her, in that home. She did receive and disseminate classified information. She even had her attorneys then wipe the hard drive clean, smash her mobile devices, uh, and delete 33,000 emails that she claimed were all personal and nothing happened to her. So the FBI has certainly led with this. At the end of the day, Jim Comey said, look, no reasonable prosecutor would charge her. I don't think I I don't agree with that. But he said no reasonable prosecutor would charge her under the Espionage Act, because at best, the government would be able to prove that she was grossly negligent and didn't act with a willful intent. Mind you, gross negligence is part of the Espionage Act. So she could have been charged as having been grossly negligent under the Espionage Act, but he said that no reasonable prosecutor would do that. So one could make the argument, if the evidence establishes this, if they could show willful intent on Donald Trump's part to keep, destroy, or distribute classified information, that that was more serious because he had actual intent to do this. The president gets the the best of the best in terms of, you know The most highly classified information, even more than a secretary of state. Hillary Clinton was the secretary of state. And you've also named a couple of other things. They may choose not to charge him with violating the Espionage Act. They may choose to charge him with making false statements. He received a subpoena and said, or he had his agent say, we've done a thorough search of all of the documents at Mar-a-Lago. There are no more documents here with classification markings. That turned out not to be true, so they could charge him with false statements. There also are allegations that he was moving these documents around in order to prevent the FBI or Department of Justice officials from finding out about them and getting them. So he could be charged with obstructing justice. That is a different criminal offense. So the, the, the government has more potential charges here than they did against Hillary Clinton, although, frankly, they could have charged Hillary Clinton with obstructing justice, too, by wiping mm-hmm. her hard drive clean and, and, sure. and destroying her mobile devices. They just didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are factual differences here. A couple of additional legal arguments the government could make if it decides to charge Donald Trump with a crime. Uh, but you know, the charge of hypocrisy or double standards is certainly one the FBI has faced and will continue to face.
0: All right. Uh, we're talking with John Malcolm, director of the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at Heritage. So this week, uh, a Clinton, Bill Clinton appointee, uh, Judge Middlebrooks, I believe it is, um, basically spanked the Trump legal team, John, uh, in a wide ranging, boy, a wide net that was cast uh, in, in terms of saying there was a vast conspiracy among Hillary Clinton all the way to the DNC. And at that time, I think the chair was Deborah Wasserman. Uh, and you know anyone in the in the Clinton sphere basically uh, saying, hey, there was a there was a conspiracy against him to to trump up these charges, spread them misinformation, blah blah blah. And the judge said, nah, come on, get out of here, get out of my courtroom. Um, yeah. Good good judge, bad judge. What say you?
2: Well, I haven't had a chance to review the opinion yet, but I know the basis of the opinion. It was at a very preliminary stage, and what he essentially said is, look, you filed this blunderbuss complaint that accused everybody of having conspired against you, but you didn't lay out a lot of very particular facts. You didn't really put in a very good legal theory other than these people all stink and they were out to get me. He dismissed that complaint, but gave them leave to amend the complaint. And he apparently in his first order gave them pretty precise directions about the kinds of things he expected to see in an amended complaint. Trump's legal team filed an amended complaint and I gather what this order said is you did not even come close to adding to this amended complaint the things I told you you would have to add in terms of factual uh, allegations and legal theories for this case to proceed. I am therefore not only going to dismiss this amended complaint, I'm going to dismiss it with prejudice, which means you can no longer file this case. You are out of court. President Trump's legal team has said that they are going to appeal that. So it will, the appeal will be not on the basis of whether this happened or didn't happen, it will be a narrow but very important point, which was, did he state enough in that complaint for a case to go forward with discovery and ultimately a trial and all of the things that that entails?
0: So it sounds like, I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm also interested in as a corollary to this whole discussion about this, this suit um, is that uh, in the comments section, people who claim to be somewhat familiar with Trump's history as a developer in New York city and other places that this is the way he works. He, uh, he threatens people, uh, with a suit, Nick quote, nickels and dimes them. One commentary (laughs) said, uh, and you know, just threatens them and they figure, Hey, it's easier to just pay a small, relatively small settlement relative to what it would cost to defend it. A, Do you know if that's true about Donald Trump? And B, would that be unusual for a developer in his category uh, in New York City?
2: (laughs) Well, I I, I certainly think that being a big, big time commercial developer in New York, New York City is a rough and tumble world. And, you know, getting involved in that space ain't beanbag. Uh, I have heard stories like that, you know, that the president doesn't like paying uh, his lawyers and doesn't like paying the other side. And, you know, we'll say things like, I can bleed you dry with litigation, but if you take 10 cents, 25 cents on the dollar, we can go home and shake hands. I've heard stories like that since I'm not a commercial real estate developer and unfortunately have never been either President Trump's lawyer or a lawyer on the other side of him. I can't attest to whether that's true or not, but I've certainly heard plenty of stories like that. And a few of whom even actually had dealings with Donald Trump, who said it was not the most Pleasant uh, experience in their lives when they were dealing with them on a commercial level, not as former <laughs> president of the U.S.
0: <laughs> you know, John. I, I just as I zoom out from this, and I, obviously I have no expertise in the law, and I'm so thankful you do. But as I zoom out from this, and having been in a leadership position and organization, and knowing how, oh, you know, there's the law, and there's politics, and there's rhetoric, and there's messaging. <laughs> One thing you try to do, and well, this applies to government compliance, one thing you try to do is not load the opponent's gun. <laughs> and is right. it fair to say that while—could both be true? Could it be that, yes, there's been aggressive, over-aggressive, differentially aggressive persecution and, yes, prosecution of Donald Trump, but at, by the same time, Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and, you know, everyone around Peter Navarre, everyone around him with their mouth and perhaps with their behavior— have sort of begged that kind of behavior. I, I don't know. Is that a fair? Is that a fair analysis or not?
2: Well, it's an interesting analysis. I hadn't he- heard it before. I mean, there, every once in a while, you will get somebody who says, "Basically, arrest me." Demonstrators do that, yeah. right? They show up someplace to obstruct yeah. whatever it is that's supposed to happen, precisely so that they will be uh, arrested. You, you had a couple of Congress uh, women, including uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who got walked Mm -hmm. off after a demonstration and they put their hands behind their back to make it look as if they were handcuffed, even though they weren't. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, so that kind of thing does happen. Steve Bannon is certainly not a shy, shrinking violet. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, somebody like that, certainly they attract the attention of law enforcement officials, put it that way, whether they whether they are seeking to get arrested and whether they deserve to get arrested is a different story. But they are certainly not keeping their head low and hoping to avoid problems.
0: Well and again I'm yeah and I'm not suggesting they're wanting to to be it's not like a civil disorder but it just seems like you got to be smart I mean you know you can be you can be bold and you can be courageous and you can be principled but you gotta be smart too, and I'm just wondering whether they're not, in some sense, however we define that word in this in this setting, smart. I don't know. It just seems to me like, my God, Well, you know that they're after you, and you're at, you've already proclaimed that you're at, you don't appreciate the deep state and this and that, and the deep state can get you, man. You don't don't load their gun. At any rate, I don't know. But that's why I'm not a Trump advisor. You know, hey John, it's always fun. <laughs> he wouldn't listen. To, he wouldn't <laughs> listen to you if you told him that anyway. <laughs> I know. I know. He'd say you're fired. <laughs> john always fun to talk with you thank you so much for your analysis and uh, i always feel like i'm going to, to law school when you're on with me i really appreciate it thank you so much
2: thanks for having me on randy <laughs> bye-bye
0: all right john malcolm with heritage when we come back we're going to ask uh, vic Purcelli a whole bunch of questions but number uno numero uno among them what is his favorite type of pasta and how does he like it prepared? I don't think we've ever discussed that when I'm on with him on Tuesday mornings. And, of course, some serious questions about the politics of the day. I'm Randy Tobler. We'll wrap it up with Vic Porcelli, our very own here on News Talk STL, when we come back.
3: Singing songs about.
0: Welcome back to the program as we roll along and wrap it up here on a Saturday morning. It's been a busy show. If you haven't been able to catch it, all of it anyway, make sure you catch the Encore presentation tomorrow night from 9 to midnight. What a better way to lay your head down on the pillow, maybe with a little pillow speaker or a little earbud, and take in the program. I love taking in Vic Percelli's program Monday through Friday here on News Talk STL, every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11, and again on the weekends, Saturdays uh, today at 3 p.m., and Vic joins me now. How are you doing, Vic? I'm doing great, Dr. Tolbert. Thank you so much for the kind words. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. Now, I have to ask you a very serious question uh, before we get into yes. the politics. Very serious question. No, my either. wife just informs me. My, my daughter and son-in-law are coming over to the lair today, and we're going to prepare you know a, a dinner for her. My wife's an excellent cook. She said, I don't have any pasta. I said, boy, do I have the pasta guy coming on. I said, this is <laughs> Vic Porcelli, what is what is your favorite, you know, just type of pasta? There's linguine, there's spaghetti. What is that one that's the thin tube that absorbs up into the tube? Uh, what begins with a B. Uh, I don't know. What is your favorite pasta? So I can tell my wife, and then I'll go out and try to locate it uh, today.
3: Now, are you asking me just the pasta or what to do with the pasta?
0: Uh, both, first starting with the pasta itself. And I'm talking about sort of a saucy pasta, not a lasagna, but, you know, one of those, uh, one of the pastas. Okay. noodly pastas.
3: Okay, noodley pastas. Okay, here's uh, here's my favorite thing in the world uh, to eat. Uh, in Italian, it's called aglio olio, which translates into garlic and oil. And it's oh. just garlic, oil, anchovies, parsley over a bed of thick spaghetti. And that's
0: it. Okay. Thick spaghetti. All right. Okay. I. Uh, I, I that's what we're going to do then. And we like that too. I, sometimes when I'm feeling extra fat, although I've been losing weight, yeah. I've lost about eight pounds in the last month. And uh, I found them. Uh, I found them. We won't go into I got You found them? Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. Got them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> sometimes if I'm feeling guilty, because maybe we've already had too many cocktails, you know, that weekend and it's, uh, you know, Sunday and we're at a great uh, Italian restaurant or whatever. And uh, instead of getting the cream sauce, I'll ask him to do it this way, to just do some olive oil, you know, because it's probably a little better than the cream sauce. But that's a Ayo Olio. Is that what it's called? Is that right? Ayo Olio.
3: A-G-L-I-O-O-L-I-O.
0: All right. And what's your favorite vino with that then?
3: Oh, that would be like a Merlot or a Cabernet. I'm not picky on that. Yeah.
0: So you're not a you're not a super Tuscan or a Chianti or anything like that, guy. You like a you like a a, a French wine with it. Okay, good.
3: Yeah. Well, they, they make Italian Merlots, you know.
0: Oh yeah. So uh, look at how diverse Vic is. Look at this, Mister Diversity.
3: <laughs> right, Mister. I'm all about diversity. <laughs>
0: hey, so I I have to tell you, I have the best time when I'm on with you because you have a way of bringing out uh, uh, taking off the filters. You know, normally I, I'm a little less, a um, little more filtered, and that's a magic about your show. Is that something that just comes naturally to you, or have you have you morphed from a St. Louis's DJ, you know, extraordinaire to a conservative talk host? What is it that you're able to to bring out the unfiltered in people? Because I hear it with other guests too. Well,
3: you know what, Dr. Tobler, it all starts with I don't know what I'm doing, okay, because I I haven't done talk radio really full-time. This is my longest stretch of doing a conservative talk radio show ever. So what do I have to fall back on is what I've done. And you mentioned, you know, doing music all these years. That's all we did was play games and be funny, you know. And I don't know if I am funny, but I like to try to think I am. So I try to make people laugh a little bit. And once you break that ice and make them laugh, it's, it's, you know, just a piece of cake from there on in.
0: Well, I tell you, it's uh, it's an entertaining and informative show, and of course, that's the magic that is uh, talk radio. And I think uh, you've uh, you've really brought a, a great dimension to News Talk STL, and I uh, I commend you. It's really been fun to listen to wow. and uh, to be a part of. So, tell me, you come you moved here in what the early '90s, right? From New Jersey, is that your home? Yep,
3: 1993.
0: Uh huh. And and I think a lot of us that lived in the, have lived in the Heartland our whole lives. Um, and maybe you know, travel up to Chicago frequently, take an Amtrak. We feel like, okay, you're still in the Midwest, Chicagoans. Yeah, I'm close enough for jazz, you know, to St. Louis. But but you go and you interact with most Northeasterners, and it's worn off on you. You seem to be a reformed Northeasterner, from what I can tell. <laughs> uh, seem seem to have they won't they don't smile when you walk down the street. Uh, sort of you know, sort of grumbly. Um, what help us understand? the persona that is a true Northeasterner, and how we can, when we deal with Northeasterners, maybe it's in advocacy because they tend to populate D.C., how we can be effective in dealing with Northeasterners. I always wanted to ask you this question.
1: Well, you know,
3: everything moves fast, right? Everybody talks fast. So all you have to do is kind of, you know, have a little bit of a thick skin. You know, for instance, if you're in New York or New Jersey and somebody says, how you doing? It just means hello. They don't want to know how you're doing. Don't stop and tell them your life story. Just say, how are you doing? And keep on walking. All right? That's number okay. one. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, n- number two, it's, uh, you know, I-, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, and you know, that elitism, you know, that, that Hollywood yeah. elitism literally, I think, started in show business, you know, on Broadway uh-huh. when... You know, Hillary Clinton gets a standing ovation from the crowd just for going to see Hamilton. And Mike Pence gets booed out of the place, you know, and then that okay. seeps out, seeps out to, to the other people. And, you know, and that's why I think they all have this stupid liberal, you know, mentality up there.
0: Yeah. Were you were you uh, conservative in your younger days? I mean, I guess there there are conservatives in, in New Jersey. I mean, they elected Chris Christie. Right. Uh, and uh so, but it just seems like it's sort of a rarity, at least when you listen to most people, um, except those on the Fox Corner there, up on you know near Broadway. But uh, well, uh, have you always been conservative, or has it been an evolution?
3: No, I, I have always been conservative. You know, uh, the first the first election I ever voted in was 1976, and I voted for Gerald Ford, and I voted Republican. You know, every every election since then. And I got to be honest with you, Mr. Tolber, Dr. Tober. Growing up and living in New Jersey, I didn't know any liberals. I mean, everybody was conservative. All my friends were. Everybody I hung out with was conservatives. I don't know. Wow. I think there's more conservatives in New York and New Jersey than than they get credit for.
0: Huh? Well, so they just not they just don't have the big mouthpiece huh? because the media is who controls the the volume on one side or the other. That's an interesting. That's that's really interesting. Wow, didn't realize it, that. It's more than well. You, let's let's, let's pivot here. I want to ask. I want to ask you about uh, about the queen and your thoughts about the queen, the empire, uh, some of the left's vicious, vitriolic, venomous, just hateful reaction to her death. I mean, it's it's been unbelievable, demonic in some cases. What are your thoughts? it? Really has.
3: Well, I you know what I, I kind of like the royals. You know what I mean? I, I think it's cool. I think it's fun, and I think the queen you know, is she loved her people, you know? And boy, Dr. Tobler, they loved her, you know? I mean, you can watch shows, TV shows and uh, sporting events, and, and if if they start playing that God Save the Queen, they just get up and sing. But she also had a great sense of humor, you know? I mean, she was in mm-hmm. a James Bond movie, right? She was in a Paddington Bear mm-hmm. movie, you know? And if I have time to tell you a quick story, Dr. Tobler, uh, sure. one of her... One of her personal bodyguards, name was Richard Griffin. He he was known as Dick, Dick Griffin. They were walking through the hills near Balmoral in Scotland, and two Americans who were hiking came across the Queen and and Dick Griffin. And they just get to talking, and they didn't recognize her at all, that she was the Queen, didn't recognize her. And they say, hey, have you ever met the Queen? And the Queen says, no, I never have, but Dick meets her quite often, you know? (laughs) So these two Americans asked the Queen to take a picture of Dick and them, right? So Dick says, well, let me take a picture of you and her, too. And then the Queen's great line at the end of this was, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they bring these pictures back to America and somebody, you know, realizes that it's me and and what they'll say to them. And you know, But it was just a, a great yeah. sense of humor that she had, you know?
0: Well, and I think that's what I long for is the the, the Ronald Reagan's, the Margaret Thatcher's, the the Queen uh, something where leaders were were aspirational figures for us, right? I mean, they had senses of humor, but yet they sort of lived up to their to their position, their stature. And of and, course. and I mean, look, as much as I like Donald Trump's policies, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's, you know, a- anyone anymore these days in a leadership position, they just don't have that gravitas and the dignity, and and the grace, and boy, oh boy, am I missing that. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. We thank Vic for being with us, and Vic, uh, a fantastic listen, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not had a chance to listen to Vic's show, make sure you do, every uh, Monday through Friday, of course, from 9 to 11, and on weekends. You can catch him today at 3, and we thank Vic for being with us this afternoon. Remember that faith Family and freedom will win the day for America, the greatest country this planet's ever seen. Keep your eyes upward and your heaven thinking about uh, the great Lord and the universe almighty. We'll see you next Saturday on the Randy Tobler Show.
2: In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was
3: born across the sea glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died
2: to make men holy let us live to make men free Whoa.